You're listening to Rural Roots, a Harris Center podcast that asks what is rural in the 21st century. I am Boyan Fierst. After a long hiatus, we are back with new episodes. Given the high level of uncertainty and the strange times we live in, sharing reliable and thoughtful information and insight about rural Canada and rural regions seemed the best use of our time. And this is the other thing. Working from home means that I do have a little bit of time to devote to the show again. This episode is about a particularly difficult issue. Over the weekend of April 18th, a gunman in rural Nova Scotia murdered 22 people following a domestic violence incident. Our international listeners should know that such events are extremely rare in Canada. As you can imagine, such a horrendous event in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic caused trauma to individuals and communities in the immediate vicinity of the crime, but also reverberated across the country. I reached out to Dr. Kathleen Cavani at the Faculty of Agriculture at Dalhousie University in Nova Scotia in Trura. Dr. Cavani is the director of the Rural Research Collaborative and a licensed psychotherapist who studies community development, community well-being, and social change. We talked about community trauma in rural regions and ways that we can help each other through such a shocking experience. We started our conversation with Dr. Cavani, briefly describing the incident. Well, folks probably would well know that uh, there was a mass shooting in uh, Nova Scotia area happening over a 12-hour stint. and. a lone gunman was um, involved in what appears to be a domestic dispute, but then became um, targeted shootings. And in the end, in three different communities around the Truro area, um, in Portapique, and then in Glenholm, up towards Wentworth, and then um, Enfield towards the airport, 22 people were killed in that uh, process and others injured. And uh, the gunman was, um, in the end, killed by um, RCMP officers as well. So a tremendous, tragic loss of life. And um, it's left um, people reeling, as you can imagine, Boyan, in these rural areas, very small communities. Portapique is just around 100 people, uh, a community just on the Bay of Fundy. And very accustomed to calm and quiet and not serenity. It's not idyllic. It's not without its issues like anywhere. But certainly this was so shocking to everyone. Um, so disturbing to have such an, an atrocity occur within this quaint um, area. And then also to see this um, person's intent to do harm at many locations, which he pursued actively and took lives at different spots. Mm-hmm. So the community, the community is, is reeling, of course, from all of this. And the community of Portapique, the loss of life is um, just unimaginable in a community of 100 people. It is. I mean, to, you know, to more than 10% of the community, like your, everyone knows everyone anyway in such a small community, but the, um, there isn't anyone untouched. There isn't anyone scarred. There isn't anyone without, um, now just, um, devastating understandings that they now have to come and wrestle with and try to 
um, eke out some kind of uh, peace in their own uh, community, staying within their community, still inviting in strangers, being welcoming, but yet um, making managing through this um, great violation. Of course, it's it's very recent, just two weeks, so it's not something we're expecting people to heal from. It's not something that is um, someone is ever expected to forget, uh, but it is something raw. And current that many Nova Scotians are still um, handling. And in Portapique particularly, they've asked that people not um, continue to come there. They've hired a private security company to ask that people give them their peace and allow them to um, to mourn and to rebuild their lives. On some level, while we possibly can't imagine the personal trauma to people who have lost a loved one in this event, there is also a community trauma. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that we actually talk a lot about that. When you talk about community trauma, what do you refer to? Well, um, you may know too about my background in that I have um, training is in counseling and psychology. I'm a psychotherapist here in Canada, although I don't currently practice in addition to being a a professor at the university. So I'm well steeped in trying to understand individuals and I work on community and individual well-being as well. And I, we can't separate trauma from people's um, life experience. And that is not just individual experiences, but what is experienced by others in our vicinity. So community trauma speaks about um, social group or neighborhood or community um, episodes of violence, episodes of distress. It could be a fire. It could be loss of life. It could be, flooding um, and port pick residents, um, people there are understandably facing strong reactions to these very distressing and frightening events. And community trauma can show up in many different ways. It could be people having emotional reactions because um, they're reliving the sounds of gunfire and they're not sleeping at night. It could be um, thinking about how they're now going to mentally navigate and, and struggle with feeling secure in a community that they no longer feel secure in. Um, maybe it can show up in stress in family, um, people feeling um, protective and obsessive about um, their family members and not wanting letting people out of their sight. Um, you know, so trauma shows up in many, it manifests in many different ways. And community trauma then also ripples. And um, we know it also can be amplified when our neighbors are feeling anxious and stressed and unable to cope. That also affects others in the area. So in some ways, we strengthen each other, but also um, the trauma can also be magnified by each other as well. Does it change how we feel about the communities we live in? Well, this is always a big question, you know, and it's really, I think, the biggest question, one of the biggest ones we're asking ourselves here. To what extent do we let our identity be defined by external incidents? You know, to what extent do we let others undermine our sense of ourselves. We can ask that question even as an individual. If as an individual and somebody bullied me, could I then succumb to that and feel less and feel um, no longer capable of standing up for myself because this bully always had the upper hand? Um, That could happen. And and we know it happens a lot in society because we certainly see a lot of bullying. And something like this is kind of like a a bully with with bullets, you know, a bully who came in and, and took over um, power in, in a community. So it isn't something that 
is not going to change someone's sense of their life experience, but whether it changes identity of the community, whether it changes our sense of our collective future, that's still to be determined, really. But we're really hoping that Nova Scotians and others who are all helping in this and all um, behind Nova Scotians trying to help people heal, we really do think um, there's potential here to um, factor in the resiliency of Nova Scotians, um, the factor in the capacity for for us wanting to see the good that this reveals to us. So yes, we've had this terrible atrocity, but in this time we've seen people show up with passion, show up with generosity, people across the country giving support. So it also shines light on other capacities that humans possess, these kind of traumas and these kinds of um, violations of, of human trust. Um, and it isn't necessarily going to lead us inevitably to no longer trust each other. But that is a potential outcome for some. It is a potential that um, we let it be, help us be bitter rather than help us be better. And uh, we hope that that doesn't occur. We hope that we really do rally together and strengthen our resolve together. And just for our listeners, and we have a lot of them who come from outside of Canada, um, an event such as mass shooting is incredibly rare in Canada, just like in most of the developed world western world i should say mm -hmm. so this this is really in some ways has resonated nationally and has really caused some thinking and asking questions on a national level as well as um, in the local and in nova scotia because these kinds of events in canada are very rare yeah, they are thankfully so and thankfully in the world really you know we've become less violent as human beings over time it may feel like we're more violent but in fact we have less violent deaths over decades and into you know this current century but that doesn't take away from the pain that people are suffering in this time um but it's it it obviously is possible and that so undermines our sense of our um our security, it undermines our sense of safety. It, 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 um, adversely affects our health and our well-being and possibly development into the future. And, um, some of the international listeners that may not know that Canadian government just, um, recently has taken action on, um, the control of guns. You know, law abiding gunners are encouraged to pr practice their, their crafts and their, um, you know, some use it for target shooting, some use it for hunting, some use them for, um, you know, recreational purposes, but assault we weapons and others that are designed to kill, particularly designed for, uh, warfare, those will, um, be no longer, um, available. Well, they're available not to be used over two years. We're going to see, um, a reclaiming of all of those guns for legal gun owners to register only those now allowed. So 1,500 um, assault weapons have been um, delisted, we might say, and um, people can grandfather over the next two years to no longer have those in their possession. Yeah, and that was certainly um, an action that has been now in, um, it was something that was planned for some time now. Mm -hmm. and, and it comes up with, not infrequently with Canadian governments, as is, has we've seen in other uh, jurisdictions as well. New Zealand has been very successful after their uh, mass shooting as well. And they um, were very firm about um, practicing uh, what a civil society needs to have. Do we need um, these types of weapons within a civil society, a free society? You know, and as we know, we have to navigate those, you know, how much individual freedom we want to allow while we also support public conditions for um, a sense of safety and security. 
So um, Canadians, I think, will navigate this still because, it, of course, it'll still unfold over the next number of years, um, presuming that other governments will also uh, retain these commitments to not allowing um, private owners of um, weapons that aren't designed for anything aside from, you know, killing other humans. And this tragic event happened in conjunction with COVID-19 as well mm-hmm. in a rural community. And it started as a domestic violence incident. Mm-hmm. At the risk of idealizing rural communities, they do have some characteristics that make this kind of trauma particularly different. It feels particularly different maybe in a rural community than it would in an urban community. Am I reaching too far here? Well, I don't think so. I think that's fair. Um, From our research, um, you know, our lab, we looked at rural well-being in a variety of communities over the last several years. And I think a lot of community members identify themselves as being particularly resilient, self-reliant, and um, the type of people who can endure difficulty and they prove themselves capable of doing it on their own and um, not even needing so much government or outside investment. They show themselves able to, you know, make it through things. So I don't think it would be too far to say that um, this is such a a shock to identity of rural community members that it undermines that um, and has the potential to really erode their sense of um, how volatile they are, how vulnerable they might be. Um, Because I think rural communities um, are known for being quieter, slower sometimes, not idyllic, as we said, it's not, they're not without their problems, Um, but they are tending to be known to be safer. Um, certainly I, I don't lock my door and I know many, uh, people practice that. Um, and it's not uncustomary in Canada and many communities, but, um, in the bowling for Columbine, as you know, and, um, was that Michael Moore, when he went around to doors in Canada, he found people in Toronto too, and other centers kept their door unlocked. Probably that's changing in some places, but, um, I think it is incidents like this. It is this fear that starts to replace our faith in humanity um, that can start to change some of those um, more comfortable and familiar rural practices. Would you say that um, this incident has been compounded and the way people feel um, and, and deal with it has been compounded by the necessary pandemic measures at the same time? I think so. Can you imagine, you know, wanting to go and be with your family members and wanting to hug and be present, wanting to have a celebration of life of people who lost their lives? I mean, there's so many things that have been um, thwarted in this time. You know, there's no gatherings of any sort. There's no funerals to be had. People are relying on technology to do the commemoration. There was a commemoration a week ago, and it was beautiful. People across the country singing and doing tributes and um all the elected officials in our area were part of that. Um, you know, and people want to do more. You know, it feels insufficient that we just use a video screen and, and reach out that way. We want to be so much more present to each other. So the COVID-19 um, pandemic has really undermined our ability to show ourselves as community, to be there and show up with each other as community. And I'm, I'm imagining it, it, it only makes the pain and the grief um, all that more compounded for people directly experiencing uh, these great losses. And it's so much harder to foster 
personal well-being, but also community well-being for those who are dealing with the immediate aftermath of the tragedy as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, part of kind of co-creating well-being, what we want to see happen is that we have this strong sense of ourselves. That's part of the public well-being is that I'm feeling well and you're feeling well and we're connected to our family, that we we see ourselves as part of a community. That's part of our identity as well. And to have that destabilized is really, you know, a threat to folks, you know, and as they're striving to heal in, um, you know, they're possibly disrupted also um, with the COVID, then their communities without some of the grieving services or funeral services or other challenges that um, rural communities might face without having healthcare nearby. Um, and I think um, what we would want to see is a deployment of specialized um, psychologists and um, trauma therapists to assist people, not just the community members themselves, but also um, the first responders, um, the people at the hospital. There was a piece in the newspaper about so many healthcare practitioners in Truro who were trying to be of aid to family members with so many people coming in wounded or already, um, of course, dead. And it's not, um, it's not something you ever prepare for as a professional either. You know, there's just so many layers of, of strain and, and grief that uh, we're experiencing here and certainly um, compounded by our condition of the pandemic and um, by these times of uncertainty. You know, how do we proceed here um, now that we have to keep our distance and how can we best be loving and, and um, caring to each other? When you talk about well-being in, in communities, especially in rural communities, what are what are some of those factors that we are looking at to determine a well-being of a community? Mm-hmm. Well, there's lots that's been written about this. I love this area of study because to me, it, it's kind of, it's the grit of life. It's the beauty of what mm-hmm. is our life and what makes rural, rural in some ways. Um, but, you know, when we, my team looked at factors that mediate well-being, we look at um, prosperity, that the community is vibrant, that it's sustainable. Um, that um, members of the community are engaged and they're connected. They also have a strong um, sense of appreciation of the natural environment. They, where it's located is for a reason. You know, rural communities are located by water's edge, by a mountain, uh, the, the confluence of two major roads. I mean, like there's, a, there's particular historical reasons for the location and those still um, are being played out as well. Um, the capacity for... Um, being responsible for each other and to each other is certainly prominent in a rural area, given how small the numbers often are. And, you know, one thing we've seen in Nova Scotia, particularly during this time, not just with the um, pandemic, but in this crisis, this loss of life is people coming together with song, with music, with art. Um, it's been really touching. So people um, show up and, and co-create rural well-being and community well-being through a multiple of modalities. And um, we need all of them. We need to tap into the psychological, the social, the environmental, the political, um, the economic, like spiritual, all the ways we can. Um, we need it all. What are some of the things we need to, we need to keep in mind as, and that communities, more importantly, and individuals coping with this trauma I need to keep in mind because it's been, it's been only very little time that has passed since the incident. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing um, as people are dealing with a loss like this is to give time 
to give space, to recognize that it's normal and right and, and, um, you know, difficult, very difficult to experience any form of violence like this and to face this trauma. So it's going to take time. It's going to take, um, months, possibly, you know, um, at the very least several weeks, people can start to feel like themselves again. They can not turn their back when they hear um, a horn sound. Like, so there will be some forms of uh, post-traumatic stress that I suspect um, many people in the community will suffer depending on what they saw, depending on what they heard, you know, it's going to be compounded by the amount of uh, violence um, they personally were subjected to. Um, but certainly um, we can expect that um, the fact that it's, in the media's eye at this time, there's a lot of attention. There's a lot of outpour of love. And, um, and then at the same time, as I mentioned, in part of pick, they're asking people and media to, to stay away and give time for healing and grieving. So I think we're going to see navigating that a bit of balance of members, um, needing to recognize their own diverse and, um, their own levels of capacity. Um, some will need more help than others. Um, some are, you know, they've lost several in their family. People were going to um, work through it in a variety of ways, but tapping into professional help is highly advised to anyone at any time, really, not just in a time of trauma that they can reach out to people, but particularly in these times when um, residents need to know that they can speak to someone and not necessarily only community members who themselves might also be um, struggling with their own issues. So certainly we hope that um, there's resources brought to bear here to help with um, people. Um, doing their their gradual and reasonable healing process it's no timeline it's not to be expected to be imposed upon them um, but uh, people should know that there are resources and can be tapped into do you know what kind of resources are available uh, to people in those communities yes uh, public health services are available um, through the um, colchester um, health services as well as through um People's um, employee assistance programs, many of them offer um, 24-hour service that one can get telephone service, even without the pandemic. That was always usually a mechanism that people could access. There's also um, uh, uh, phone lines for trauma. Um, police service have um, resources as well. So if one's looking for them, um, and we can certainly make links available if there's um, a website, but there are prospects for people to find um if they are looking for um, trauma assistance, um, counseling help, um, depending on what kind of aid they would, would be wanting, there's medical, um, psychological, and um, physical. People might want to change um, their um, door locks, for example, when you, one experiences um, a victimization like this. That's certainly one of the first things victim services recommends is changing door locks, changing, taking ownership and power where one can. So. Um, I would recommend uh, people reach out to victim services. They would reach out to um, the hospital for service as well as to um, the public health service and mental health. What I'm going to do in the episode notes here and on the website, I'm going to post some links. So if people are listening as a podcast, they'll be able to just click on the links in the, Great. In the episode notes. Great. What are some of the strategies that uh, that people can employ to to help them stay stay healthier? Oh, there's so many good things we need to do to help each other. Um, and um, I think some of the very practical things we can be doing is um, we can acknowledge that trauma is is real. Um, and even if we didn't experience it directly, vicarious trauma is a real thing. 
Um, and just in knowing this is happening in our area, um, giving ourselves time to sit with it, to grieve with it, to name it, um, and to work through um, the consequences with us um, to help with that healing. Um, just the, like with this pandemic as well, we're really advising people to stay healthy and active um, to ensure that the, that aids in sleeping better rather than staying up late and and um, continuing to um, ruminate over issues. Um, sleep is so critical for healing and for well-being and guard against um, misuse of drugs or alcohol. Um, it may be tempting to to stay up and, and talk with people and lament about people's lives um, lost. Um, but there are consequences, of course, to, if that is an occasional thing, but um, finding healthier uh, coping strategies are definitely recommended. And being able to work with each other, you know, reaching out to each other, staying connected, um, knowing that you're loved, knowing that people support um, this um, great community. These uh, small centers are very formidable. They will rebound. They will um, show what they're capable of in these times, as has already been shown. Um, but they don't feel they need to do it alone. Do get professional help and do know that um um, it's not just short-term, there's long-term support that will be extended. Kathleen, how are you doing in the middle of all this? It has been very difficult. When I first learned of this news, boy, and I was in tears myself, I couldn't believe the capacity of harm that someone could, could wreak on someone, the capacity to do such damage. And it it has shaken my sense of um of what people can carry, the hurt and trauma that this uh, person was carrying and the viciousness with which he was ready to act out. Um, it, it certainly challenges my sense also of our ability to ready ourselves, our ability to be um, alert. So for me, I'm, um, I'm still grieving in many ways, grieving my sense of um, the kind of um, romantic notion of um rural Nova Scotia that I had. And, you know, I maintain, like I say, I still feel quite safe in my own house, quite safe in my own community, but I know that that will be um challenge for a lot of people. So I'm, I'm, I'm heartbroken for families. I'm deeply saddened for our communities. And um, at the same time, I'm also very hopeful. I'm very optimistic that we're going to heal and be stronger because of it. There is one aspect to to this that we haven't talked about yet, and that is the domestic violence mm -hmm. and the what appears to have started as a domestic violence incident. What do we know about domestic violence in rural Canada? Domestic violence is, is such a serious issue everywhere. And in rural settings, it's even um, more often more hidden and um, less resources. So there's not um, an immediate place one can go to with uh, close proximity to um, locate oneself in a safer place, you know, so there aren't safe houses per se in rural communities, uh, unlike in urban centers that one can find um, shelter by even just calling the police. And in that same evening, one could be located somewhere else. So um, particularly male um, violence against a female partner is the, one of our greatest causes of loss of life. I think it's um, bordering on 50% of um, violence um, is perpetrated by a partner and violence of, of a fatal sort. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's sickening really to think of love gone wrong mm. somehow and a sense of um, a misunderstanding about relationship and a misunderstanding about, you know, boundaries and 
rights and possessiveness and, um, you know, people don't come to their understandings alone. We are in a historical society where patriarchy and um, domination of women is not um, too removed from our history. I mean, we could say we can see examples of it still all around us. So to acknowledge that domestic violence is a real issue in rural areas is necessary for us. We have to be able to speak about it. We have to have space and platforms for women and men to come forward for children also that they don't feel um, ashamed of bringing forward violence, that this is necessary for us to be part of this kind of an extension of the Me Too movement. Me Too movement, it was really about men really in privileged position, misappropriating um, their powers and feeling that they had kind of an entitlement to treat women as they would. And it's not certainly in the U.S. alone. Uh, we certainly saw cases of it on you know, public ones in Canada as well. And it's part of this kind of um, misunderstanding about human boundaries, you know, that we love each other, we care for each other, but we don't possess each other. We don't control each other. We don't dominate each other. We There's ways civil society acts together that includes the way men and women talk to each other in loving relationship, the way children are treated, the way that we are able to bring forward issues when we're afraid. You know, um, so the, all of this needs to be given more daylight. We need to shine more light on these issues of trauma and on domestic violence and um, do our part to try and make it safe places for people to come forward. And as we are learning um, now, this um, the policies to prevent the spread of COVID-19 um, have exacerbated mm -hmm. domestic violence problems. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I would imagine that that mm -hmm. is true in rural regions just as much as in urban. Yeah. And again, we can imagine, you know, where do you go? You know, it, mm -hmm. if in the past you, you had a bit of an outlet, you could go off to your sister some night and you know, kind of, you know, the partner comes home and he's drunk um, or whatever the condition might be, um, you you kind of had a bit of an out. And now there's fewer and fewer of those. And it comes even more amplified when you're contained within that same space with each other day after day. So not just um, uh, partner um, violence, but family difficulties and strains are, are being um, increasing in this time as well. Kathleen, anything I should have asked you and I haven't? Yeah. I, yeah, that's a good question. Is there anything else? Um, I, I, I don't think so. Um, I guess I would, I would just add that, um, what we don't want to have happen, you know, what we don't want to, um, let occur here is that we undermine or let our social strengths be broken down as a result of this, um, both the COVID-19 and this, this atrocity in our communities, that this is the time when we need to strengthen our social relationships, that we need kind of to co-create new social norms together, new ways of connecting, and um, really build um, te technology to build networks. But we can also still drop by people's houses. Um, you know, there's many communities that are developing um Drop-offs for food. They're asking people to leave food at their doorsteps, um, and community members will go around and pick things up. Um, there's ways that we can still engage with each other and reach out. So this is the time to um, strengthen our resolve of what it means to be um, humans, what it means to be compassionate, um, and not let ourselves become um, embroiled in a sense of, of fear and um, dis distrust. Here it is, you know, um, a new era in some ways of um, using technology in such creative ways. 
and we haven't even um, seen some of the technology tools that are going to still come forward. So I'm, I'm very optimistic that people can um, rally together with this time and uh, use ways to um, spread love and spread caring um, and, you know, ways that we're going to, after the pandemic, particularly um, help to shelter people differently than um, in places where they may be experiencing violence or discomfort. So it, it is a blend that we're facing here. There is a challenge ahead to um, help manage um, the trauma that's going to come out of people being um, so long sequestered in conditions that weren't um, altogether favorable. Um, but I think it also has um, allowed us time for families in many cases, and hopefully more than 50%, at least, you know, that we're going to see at least that many more families who are strengthened and feel grateful for having this time to get to know each other, having this time to um, really understand each other, play together more, be out in the streets, walking with each other, um, things that we haven't done because we've been too busy to even see each other, you know, so this is a time to slow ourselves down, to see each other, Say, so, yeah, I, I know you're there. I know if not, even not in the same room, um, but take time to connect and uh, be present. Thank you so much for that hopeful message for the end of our interview. And thank you for your time. Mm -hmm. What a joy. Thank you, Boyan, for doing this. And really good of you. That was Dr. Kathleen Cavani, Director of the Rural Research Collaborative at the Faculty of Agriculture at Dalhousie University in Truro, Nova Scotia. We talked about community trauma and ways we can help each other through such difficult experiences. Dr. Cavani shared a list of resources available to individuals and communities dealing with trauma. I'm including that whole list in the episode notes. You have just listened to Rural Roots. I produced the show at the Harris Center at Memorial University of Newfoundland in St. John's. The show is a partnership between the Harris Center Canadian Rural Revitalization Foundation and Rural Policy Learning Commons Partnership. You can find more episodes through your favorite podcasting app or on our website, ruralrootspodcasts.com. That is rural, R-O-U-T-E-S, podcasts.com. I'm Brian Fierst. Rural Roots.